Welcome to the Leads Business Insights Podcast, featuring expert analysis to help you stand out from the herd. My name is Amanda Kramer. We are excited to have Leeds Professor Sanjay Bhagat here discussing the energy implications stemming from the conflict in Ukraine. The conflict in Ukraine has been anything but the brief invasion Vladimir Putin envisioned. As the conflict drags on, there's been a dreadful human toll but also an economic one, as sanctions reverberate through interconnected global markets and bans on imported Russian oil create surging demand in Europe. What does this mean for businesses, both those domestic and international? Here to help us make sense of it is Leeds Professor Sanjay Bhagat, a recognized expert in finance who has spoken to NPR, CPR, and Fortune magazine, and others about the rippling economic effects of the conflict in Ukraine. Welcome to Leeds Business Insights, Sanjay, and thank you so much for being here today. Thank you, Amanda. Happy to be here. Set the foundation for us. Tell us a little bit more about the energy landscape as it relates to Russia, Europe, and the United States from a historical perspective. History is always a good place to start. And one of the lessons of history that we should recall is no empire or no country has ever been militarily strong that did not have a strong economic base. We just haven't ever seen that. However, the converse is not necessarily true. For example, modern day Japan and Germany are economically very strong countries, but they have made a choice to not be strong militarily, though of late they may be re thinking the choice. So let's get to taking a closer look at the Russian economy. So while Russia has had, it has a very strong presence in the space satellites and in their military hardware, it is technologically otherwise not a very developed country. For example, Russia does not have companies like Apple and Microsoft that we do. So their economy is very heavily reliant on their oil and energy exports. Now, who does Russia export oil and natural gas to? A good fraction of that goes to Germany. A smaller fraction goes to Italy and and, uh, Turkey. China is now becoming an increasingly important uh, energy customer for Russia, but it is still a small fraction of what Germany buys from Russia. That's the situation of the Russian economy, that most of it is heavily dependent on on the international oil prices. So, you know, the uh, oil is an international commodity is traded in international markets and there are many standard oil prices. The one that I'll talk about is this Brent crude price, but there are other prices we can talk about and they're all very highly correlated. So if you look at the Brent crude oil price, which is the one that's used in Europe over the last decade, you will see peaks and plateaus in that price. The first peak that you see in the price of the Brent crude oil is around the middle of 2008. Now, when did Russia invade Georgia? Middle of 2008. 
Moving forward in time, we see a plateau of the oil prices around 2013, 2014. When did Russia invade Ukraine the first time and occupied Crimea and other eastern parts of Ukraine? Early 2014. Going forward in time to, more, uh, to this last year or this current episode, we again see a spike in the price of the Brent crude oil. And we are seeing the conflict in Ukraine. So I'm not suggesting that the Brent crude oil price is causing this conflict. What I am saying is that when the Brent crude oil price is at a relative high, that fills up the Russian treasury's coffers and that makes Mr. Putin feel economically strong. And when he feels economically strong, then he goes out on his military adventures. What we see from Mr. Putin's behavior is that his economy is heavily dependent on oil exports and natural gas exports, mostly that's exported to Germany and Italy. And when these oil prices have reached a relative high, that's when he feels that he has the economic strength to go and engage in his military expansion. So what's the role of the U.S. and its European allies in this? Let's talk about U.S. first. U.S. until the recent embargo was importing oil from Russia, a very small amount of what we consume, but that was still providing Russia several hundred million dollars worth of foreign exchange every day. Now, what's the oil production situation in the U.S.? Over the last decade or, or even longer, if you look at the net oil imports, the net oil imports in the U.S. have been declining over the last decade. In fact, by 2019, the net oil imports in, in the U.S. was negative, meaning that U.S. was a net exporter of oil in 2019. So you, while in the U.S. we consume a lot of oil, we produce also a lot of oil. In fact, we are one of the world's largest oil producers, such that in 2019, we were a net exporter of oil. So the U.S. oil companies, uh, the small oil companies, the mid-size, the big oil companies, they have shown that they have the ability to, to generate, to produce enough oil domestically within the U.S. such that we do not have to go and buy oil from, from anywhere else. However, under the current Biden administration, there have been lots of disincentives for oil companies to explore and produce the oil. And that was one of the reasons why we were importing even the small amount of, of oil. Now, we can, in the U.S., if we, if we gave the correct oil exploration and manufacturing incentives to our oil companies, they can produce more than enough oil for all our oil needs at the current prices. 
and we will have excess oil and natural gas that we can supply to our European allies, especially Germany and, and Italy. So if Germany can buy their oil and natural gas from the U.S., they will not have to buy it from Russia. The Russian uh, treasury coffers are not going to be very full when oil prices go up. And that is an important point here because as the Europeans are realizing, energy is not just about energy and the manufacturing part of the economy. Energy is also about national security. Uh, while it'd be very hard to show conclusively, most commentators think that one of the reasons Mr. Putin thought that he could invade Ukraine and not meet a lot of opposition from the Western European countries like Germany and Italy, because he thought that those countries uh, were very much dependent on Russia for their oil and natural gas, and that would be a reason they would not want to intervene uh, in any significant way. Now, of course, you know, his calculations were wrong on that front, but uh, that's what he was thinking about. I'm wondering if you would be able to address what the cost implications would be to providing incentives to our U.S. oil companies and potentially other implications of these policies, because I think that's something that's on a lot of people's yeah. minds. Why are our oil companies not immediately starting major exploration projects and major manufacturing projects immediately? So what the oil companies are looking at are expected prices when their oil well would be ready and when the oil comes out from the ground. And that takes anywhere from, from 18 months to three years to, to do the exploration, build those oil wells, and get the oil out. So the oil companies are looking at prices and regulations, not today, but the oil prices and the regulations that are likely to exist one year from now, two years from now, three years from now, five years from now. So it is the expectation of the oil price in a year from now, two years from now, three years from now. It is the expectation of what the regulators, uh, if they're going to impose additional regulation down the road once this Ukraine conflict subsides, or if the regulators will allow for more oil exploration, that is what the oil companies have to take into their calculus when they decide whether or not and how aggressively they should go out and explore for oil and, and get it out eventually. So if the international oil producers in the Middle East and elsewhere, if they think that the oil prices are going to go down in year two and three compared to what the oil prices are now, they're going to say, well, let's bring our oil up now and sell the oil today at these higher prices. But as they bring their oil up and try to sell them at a higher price, the price of oil starts to go down. Because as all of those oil companies start to bring up the oil, the price, you know, there's more oil in the world market. As you have more, more oil, more supply, the price of oil goes down. So the 
regulatory impact that's in the U.S. can impact oil prices today if the oil companies in the U.S. and the oil uh, com companies abroad are convinced that the regulators are not going to wrap up their regulations uh, in the years to come. The EPA regulators and other energy industry regulators, they can actually impact the oil prices today by simply declaring in a, in a credible manner that they are not going to ramp up their regulation. In fact, they're going to start ramping down their regulations. And that's going to lower the price today, even though it'll be several years from now before the, you know, the oil st starts coming out from the ground. So that's something that I think is not widely uh, appreciated or even understood. But you know, that's the way the, the markets work. I'm thinking about some of our audience members will be business owners of various sorts who may be wondering how this conflict in Ukraine may impact them. What is the impact on local business owners and people who may not be in the oil and gas industries? Oil and energy impacts all industries. So a higher uh, gas prices will be felt by the companies through their employees being more concerned about driving and uh, driving to work. The energy costs will also go up and almost all businesses use energy. If they have a manufacturing base, they use it maybe more intensively. If not, it's just whatever their office uh, energy needs are. The petroleum is a basic ingredient that's, that's used in a lot of things and all the way from the nice ski jackets that we wear, even some of our ski components are made made from petroleum. So in a way, it sort of impacts the entire economy. And the price of, of, of oil and, and gas going up is going to have a positive impact on inflation, meaning it will ramp up the inflation already from the level we are seeing to maybe even a higher level. So as inflation goes up, it's going to have, in general, when inflation spikes up, that slows down the investment, investment activities of most companies. So it, it, it will have a, a negative impact on our entire economy, both in Colorado and at what do you see regarding the contribution of various sources of energy in the U.S.? And what does that mean with regard to our energy needs and concerns about the environment? That's a very important question and uh, issue with regard to the current, I guess, discussion about oil, energy, uh, national security. So the obvious facts are if we produce more oil and natural gas and use more oil and natural gas for generating electricity or for conducting our traveling and manufacturing activities, there's going to be more carbon emission in the US. Now, let's sort of see where we are uh, as a country with regard to the sources of electric power. So 40% of our electricity is produced 
by burning natural gas. 20% comes from uh, nuclear energy and the other 20 comes from coal. So that's 80% of our energy sources. The another 10% comes from wind and solar, the renewables. And of this 10%, most of it is wind. Solar is a very small fraction of that. So wind is four fifths, solar is one fifth of that uh, 10 percent of the uh, energy of the electricity source. And then of course we have other sources uh, of the remaining amount, hydroelectric and so forth. Now, after 50 plus years of what I'd say very serious and uh, intense research, on solar energy or how to generate solar energy uh, and wind energy. Solar and wind in the U.S. provide us with only 10% of our electricity needs. The major part of energy still will have to come from some combination of natural gas, nuclear, and coal. So we have a choice here to make. Either we can decide to focus more on, on cutting back on carbon-intensive electricity sources. That would be cutting back on natural gas and coal. But then that would have to be offset by nuclear. Because we simply, even the best scenario going out for the next 30, 40, 50 years does not suggest that uh, wind and solar can provide us with the majority of our uh, our energy needs. And then, of course, we have to be concerned about that. Now, one of the issues when we talk about the environment, which is a very important issue in this, in this entire debate, we have to think a little bit more uh, in the macro sense or in the international sense. So climate is global by definition. So if we are looking at the carbon emissions by U.S. companies, again, there's lots of data on this. So the U.S. Energy Information Agency has, you know, extensive amount of data. So if you go and look there, what you'll find is during the last two decades, the overall carbon emission by U.S. companies has decreased. So again, in the last two decades, the overall emission for U.S. companies, it has gone down. Now, can the U.S. companies do better? Should they do better? Of course, they can do better. Of course, they should do better. And we should continue to, you know, find, uh, uh, continue to encourage technologies that cut down on our carbon emission. That's all very good. But in the same last two decades, the carbon emissions of the large Asian countries, primarily China and to a fair degree India, their carbon emission has more than tripled. And right now their carbon emission is more than twice that of US. Now, they are not emitting carbon for the sake of emitting carbon. They're doing that mostly to generate electricity for use by their their uh, industry. 
But that's the key is uh, if we are concerned about the global climate, as we all should be, people have to talk about the gorilla in the room, which is the large Asian countries and their uh, amount of carbon emission today and the rate in which that carbon emission is increasing. You really are not doing much for the global climate until you're willing to address the more difficult question, conversation that very few environmental activists, either in the U.S. or Western Europe, are willing to have. Every episode, we have an LB idea or a key takeaway. And the takeaway here is that oil and gas impacts every business in person in some capacity, and that we are going to need to expect higher gas prices, higher energy costs, and inflation for the foreseeable future, especially as we wait for companies both nationally and abroad to work through the implications of various manufacturing and regulation changes related to the oil and gas industry. Thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you for having me. Thank you again for listening to Leeds Business Insights and a special thank you to my guest, Sanjay Bhagat. Don't miss a single episode. Subscribe to Leeds Business Insights wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find more information about our podcast series at leads.ly slash LBI podcast. We'll see you next time.